Good evening, everyone. Hebrews chapter 7, if you'll turn there. Hebrews 7, uh, we really dug, uh, dug in or kind of dove in uh, to this uh, man by the name of Mel- Melchizedek. We actually went to Genesis uh, chapter 14 and really uh, re- what they call the uh, first mention, the rule of first mention. That goes back again to Genesis 14. And that had to do with uh, Abraham trying to rescue his, his nephew. And uh, in doing that, he defeated the armies of Chelaleomor and took the spoils. And when um, he came back with the spoils and his nephew and the people, all the other people that was captive, he met up with a man by the name of Melchizedek. And uh, I could study this for a couple weeks. The more I look into this, the more I just glean from it. Um, but uh, we don't want to do that. Uh, we are, I mean, chapter 5, 6, and 7 deals with Melchizedek. Uh, chapter 14, I believe it's only chapter 14, that deals with him in the Old Testament. So Abram's coming back with the, um, with the spoils from that war. And this man by the name of Melchizedek, interesting guy. He's, uh, his name Melchizedek, by the way, means righteousness. Uh, But it also says that he's a king of Salem, which is another word for peace. Uh, But he was the king of Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem. So here's this guy. Now, many people believe that he's a Christophany, that he it was an appearance of Christ uh, in the Old Testament before he was born in Bethlehem. There are several places that a lot of scholars believe that it was an appearance. The wrestling with Jacob, they believe that was a Christophany. They believe when the angel appeared to Abraham again as a Bedouin um, and, and Sarah laughed. They believe that was a Christophany. And so, uh, and I don't disagree. Um, but again, I think sometimes the, um, we can um, major on minors and minor on the majors. I think it's good to have a solid stance on what you truly believe in. You should have a conviction and, uh, and then you just embrace that until the Lord shows you something differently. Amen, guys? So uh, and the more I study, the more I look at it. Personally, now I, I really do think this is a, a Christophany because when Abraham came and met him, he literally bowed down to him. That's a sign. Uh, but then the argument against that, that was also a custom in that time period that if you met a king, you would bow down. The word for bowing down in worship is the same word in the Hebrew. So, you know. I kind of like getting to that. Sometimes I get accused of going too deep into history and all that. So, but I pastored a church, so so what? <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding with you. Uh, I guess sometimes I think that stuff is important. I do. But anyway, shut up, Harry. Keep moving. So uh, we looked at that real carefully. And then we looked at that this Melchizedek wasn't just a king and a priest. Uh, but, that all, but that also, uh, according to Psalms 110... The Davidic psalm, a a messianic psalm, uh, calls him uh, after the order of Melchizedek, meaning the priesthood. That there's one coming who will be in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood. That's what he's really going to touch on the last part of this chapter. I don't think I'm going to get past this chapter, but um, why do I think this is important? Let me tell you why. Because it's almost like a litmus test. It really is. Um, back when he was, uh, he had inter- introduced us to Melchizedek. If you want to kind of look it back at chapter five, um, just for a second here, and see if I can find this. Um, yeah, he starts in verse um, six talking about that there will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek in verse 6. And that, of course, is our Lord. Um, And then uh, let me go down, look at verse 8. Though he he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Again, talking about the sufferings of our, our Lord. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. Now, remember, this is in context with Melchizedek called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110. And this is what the author, many believe it's Paul, 
said, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. This is going to be very difficult for someone to teach them. That's what this author uh, is saying. And if it is Paul the Apostle, that's kind of amazing that Paul's saying this is tough. You know, and he tells them why it's tough. But still, he says this. This is the reason. Seeing you are dull of hearing. You should be this time uh, teachers and have need. That, but you have need that one teach you again. Uh, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are come such as have need of milk again. So on and so on. So uh, it, yeah, it's a challenge now reading that. That. The Christian is to grow, and he is to grow in his understanding and the knowledge of the word, even if we have to put on the brakes and say, now, wait a minute, this Melchizedek guy, this is something important for us to know. Because what this author is going to say is that that old Levitical priesthood, oh, it was important for a time. God didn't establish Levitical priesthood just, you know, to keep himself busy. No, there was a reason for that. And along with the Levitical priesthood came the, the commandments of God. And then, of course, the Levitical law, Mosaic law. And then the Talmud and on. It kept getting wider and wider as we have studied this before. Um, but important. But if the Holy Spirit shows us through the word that that time period is over. And someone questions you about your liberty and freedom in Christ. And you're wise. That what, what's the deal? You can say, well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 14. And let's talk about a different order. Let's talk about a new way. Something where the old has nullified. In other words, the old can't do what the new wants to do in our lives personally. You really do help a lot of people get out of this whole baggage of this performance mentality. Performance. What we got to do. We don't, we don't have to do anything when we get to. But there's a big difference between... You know, mandating and the freedom to do it because of God's grace. How many agree? Does that make sense, guys? Amen. All right. So we did go through um, the first four verses here, but if you'll be graceful with me. Uh, for this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, again, ancient Jerusalem, but the king of peace. Melchizedek meaning righteousness, the king of righteousness. And that, they will later on say this. He says, priest of the most high God, whom met Abraham, returned from the slaughter. Remember the war when he, he retrieved Lot and the spoils. Slaughter of the kings and, he, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave uh, a tenth part of all. He gave a tenth of all the spoils uh, to this uh, man named Melchizedek. Uh, first being, here, is, here it is, first being interpreted the king of righteousness, that's Melchizedek. After that also the king of Salem, meaning the king of peace. Remember, your best commentary that you own is the one you're reading right now. Scripture will always interpret scripture. Do you want to save yourself, unless you're just an avid reader and you want to read everybody's commentary on it, half the time you're just going to reread somebody else's commentary, reading it. Now, you know, it's funny that I'll read somebody like um, um, maybe um, Warren Wearsby, and I'll read it, and I'm thinking, I read this before. And then all of a sudden I think, wait a minute, I read this out of G. Campbell Morgan's commentary, you know? And he's not, it's not plagiarism, you know? I mean, if you read it enough, go ahead and claim the thing, I guess, but... It's all God's word, you know. So, and again, I'm trying to save you some ag in your, in your studying. If you want a real good biblical help, um, what is that handbook? Is it Harper's handbook? Haley's. Thanks, Rick. Haley's handbook. Can't you just get a copy of that? It'll help you through the archaeology. It'll help you through some of the mannerisms and customs. You know, a lot of times people say, where did you find that, Matt? You know, how did you know that? I, said, I, I study a lot, you know. No, it's because I have that little handbook with me all the time. So get one of those and just find a commentary that you can read, please. I mean, if you're a brainiac and I'm not... And you can just get a Linsky. That's fine. But I have to read Linsky about 10 times the same chapter to make any sense of him. I, you know, I kind of like G. Campbell Morgan. I love D.L. Moody. You know, you could just tell, he, you know, he would fit in at Calvary, South Jersey. Amen, guys? Anyway, why am I telling you all this stuff? So, Mel, pray for me, will you? That I move on. 
Um, but, but again, I think it's very important that you understand this thing about Melchizedek receiving the tenth. He, again, he's going to elaborate on this uh, further on in this chapter. And again, since the word is here and we are expositional by nature, we look at certain words. And that word, a tenth part or tithe, the, the Greek tithe is a, is a tenther. Now, there's something that John Corson brought up when I was listening to his message on this. He doesn't say, you know, how many of us say we give our tithes? That's not biblical. I just realized this after 30 some years. It's already his according to the scriptures. He owns that 30. We're only giving it to, it's his to give. So it's not like I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to give my tent. No, scripturally, it's his anyway. And according to Malachi, if you keep it, what's, what's, he, what's he call you? He calls you a thief. Why? If it was yours to give, you would never be a thief if you wanted to keep it. But it belongs to him. Wait a minute, Harry. I thought you were against tithing. Well, I'm not against it. I don't think it's a doctrine. But I do think it's biblical. You're saying, okay, now you're just playing with words. No, I'm not. A doctrine c- creates conviction. Something that will, will, you know, to the end, we're going to stand for this conviction. A doctrine can sometimes be changed. I mean, a biblical thing can be changed every now and then. Like my view may be on Melchizedek. But you cannot say that tithing is not biblical. Jesus alluded to it. In fact, Jesus said when he was rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes, he said, look, don't neglect tithing, but don't do it like them. Jesus himself said, but is it doctrine? No. Because when we see doctrine, it has to be alluded to in the New Testament. I mean, talked about in the New Testament, practiced in the book of Acts, and taught about in the epistles. We have two, but we have no teaching in the epistles about, the, about tithing, the tenth part. In the epistles, we have the heart that wants to give hilariously and joyfully. Uh, in um, the book of uh, the epistles, how Paul mentioned about their hearts willing to support the believers in Macedonia, and they took up a love offering. Okay, is love offerings a doctrine? No, because we don't see it in, in, the, in the gospel. See, don't be confused about it. But don't get hung up on tithing. There are some people who have a, a legitimate conviction about tithing. They in their heart, and expect, I learned this from really old, time, old school believers, that they, they set that thing aside and they don't touch it. Some have the conviction that I won't even write out a check because I, I don't want to get anything back on my returns. I want this to be between me and the Lord, and I am giving it to him freely. I, I honor that. I, I, I think it's wonderful. I really do. I think it's beautiful. But tithing is an important practice, or I should say giving is an important practice in the scriptures for a believer. Now again, I'm not going to hammer that every week like some churches do, trying to get into your pockets. That to me is just extortion. Jesus called the wolf an extortioner. That's what that word means. So anyone that's just pounding for money and coming up with gimmicks to get it, that's an extortioner. And they should be run out of the church if I can speak freely. Okay. Harry, why did you bring that up? Abraham gave a tenth of his spoil. Well, that's not Levitical law. Neither was this. This is 400 years before the Levitical law was written. 400 years. So you can't say the, the first rule of, of, of mention, word is a Levitical. It isn't. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 14 before the law was even given. Before Moses was born. Right? Now... He goes on, he says, first being interpreted by king of righteousness, and after that, the king of Salem, meaning peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, and abideth a priest continually. Many believe that, again, this is a Christophany. Now, consider how great this man was. He's speaking of Melchizedek. Unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoil. See, in their mind, in their culture, if I were to give you 10% of what I have in my pocket, you would think he was the greater. In fact, that's exactly what he's going to mention. Now, you, you and I are probably learning this for the first time. Maybe not. Maybe this is a refreshment thing for you. But in their culture, man, this is resonating in their minds and in their hearts. 
Why would Abraham, our patriarch, the father of all, go and meet some guy on the way back from a glorious and give him 10%? That would not be done in their, in their culture unless he was more important than Abraham. And in the Jewish mind, uh-uh, no one's more important than good old father Abraham. Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the... You thought I was going to go all the way through it, all right? Go ahead, right hand, left hand. Well, you guys are dead tonight. Come on. And so, without consider, now consider how great this man was. Verse 5. Verily they that, that are of uh, the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have, co- have the commandment to take tithes of the people that... The Hebrews, the Jewish people, according to the law. That was a Mosaic, that was a Levitical law. In fact, listen, when you study the Levitical law, it wasn't 10%. No, it was 10% of your crop, 10% of your livestock, 10% of this. I mean, when you do the math, you and I just think, okay, when my check comes in, I'm going to do the math. I'm going to give the Lord 10% and then, you know, my convictions, right? Not for them. And that's why Jesus, when he was challenging these Pharisees, he goes, don't do it like them because they're not even doing it right. That's not even according to the Levitical law. You know, he he said there was these uh, Pharisees that were paying their tithes, but they were counting out their seeds, cumin, and um, there was another one. And it's like, okay, one for God and nine for me. One for God and nine for me. And he says, no, that's the wrong heart, man. That's not the right, that's not the right, that's not how we give. And that's why when you tithe with a, with, with a wrong heart, then you might as just keep it. If you're giving because you think that it's going to be pressed down and shaken up and, and overflowing and all that, nah, but just keep it. If, if you can't pay your bills... And you can't take your wife out. Keep your tithes. God is more blessed in your marriage than you given 10% of whatever you're making. Does that make sense? So the Levitical law, it was a law to them. And they, man, I'll tell you, they gave grudgingly after a while. And that's what the Lord doesn't want. They have this commandment to take the tithes of the people according to the law of their brethren. Though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Now he's going to set up. He's setting them up, man. You know? Because right now when they think about tithes, they're only thinking Levitical. They're not thinking about Abraham. And he is going to sort of like, it's a sucker punch, you know. <laughs> you know, you're the guy that you elevate so much, you know, where did you come from? Well, we came from Abraham. Well, Abraham gave, you know. So let's keep moving down. But he, Melchizedek, whose descent is not counted from them, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Abraham was, he was given a promise. And it says that Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him as righteousness. But the reason why he had so much faith in this, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about two immutable things. One, it was his promise. And two, he swore it upon his own name. He couldn't go any higher than that. And when Abraham heard that from God, man, his faith was not shaken. See, that helps me understand why Sarah laughed. Because the only thing that Sarah got was Abraham's, you know, description of all this. Hey, God appeared, man. He told me to leave her, the Chaldeans. He's going to make me the father. He got Sarah. He said, look at the sand. Our descendants are going to be more numerous than the grains of sand, man. And the stars, the stars, man. We're going to have more... And when Sarah was confronted with that, she did what? She laughed. Why? Would you have? Hey, 100 years old? We're going to have a kid? Not likely. But see, when, you get a, when, you, when you're told a promise by the Holy Spirit of God, and you know it, and there's something in your heart you just know. I was talking to a young man tonight, and he was sharing with me just the promises that God laid on his heart. And he told me these things with such a conviction. Two immutable things. His promise, and he can't swear beyond his own name. Because there is no other name. You can't get any higher than God, right? 
And by the way, I don't think we should. Jesus touched that, touches that in Matthew chapter 5. Just let your yay be yay and your nay be nay, right? Remember that when we were a kid? I swear to God, stick a pen in my eye. Imagine kids with pins. Come here, you lied to me. This is what he means in verse 7. Or verse 6, he said, no, verse 7, pardon me. But without contradiction, the less is blessed by the, by the better. Abraham was blessed. Abraham was blessed. How? Because he gave his tithes to one that was greater. Melchizedek. Now remember, this author is going to try to convince these Jewish believers that what they want to gravitate back towards is wrong. It's not a good idea. Quick thought, please. And I hope it doesn't throw you off. Did you ever ask yourself the question, why would they? Why would they go back? I mean, they taste it. They were enlightened. They experienced gifts. Some of them were born again. Maybe not. We don't know. But they repented. Not repented to good. They repented the other way. But why? I think it's because they lost hope. Because he mentions hope twice. They lost hope. Hope in what? In the the early church, they really had a sense because of the persecution. Who was coming back for them? Christ. The Nero was going, starting to go nuts. Persecution was rising. Christians were scattering. The Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back. The Lord's come. Never did. And they lost their hope. Sort of thinking it doesn't work. How How many do you know? We taught the second coming. I, I thought back in the day, because it's something my, pa- or my grandfather, pastor, I guess you call him, Chuck, said, I can't see how the Lord couldn't come back by 1985. No, he wasn't making a prediction. He just saw the craziness of the world. And now look at the craziness of this. Honestly, I, I, in my mind, I, I don't see how we're getting past 2020. So I'll say in 2021... But it's your job and my job, listen, Christian, never to lose that hope. Because when you lose hope, you will gravitate back to something different. When you start losing hope and grace and mercy and truth and a personal relationship with Christ, you know you're going to gravitate back to the law. And you're going to gravitate back to if I pray more, if I read more. Pardon me, if I do this and do that. Because why? All because you just... Wow, you got your, your eyes off of the hope of his return. That's why I think, I, yeah, one of the reasons anyway, one of the reasons. Because I see it, I see it. My, uh, my brother went through a stretch where he really went through some real difficult, dark times. And um, medicated and everything. And so when I went up to see him, and he, man, he was a, my hero in the faith. I remember sitting in this uh, lodge with him, and I started talking about the second coming. And this is what's his word. Harry, you really believe in a literal return of Christ? I haven't seen that for a long time, brother. And he's the one that had in the back of his 1962 Chevy Deuce, Behold, I come quickly, when he first got saved. Now, trust me, when I was sitting with him at his deathbed, uh, and uh, he said, Harry, the Lord's coming soon, man. You know, get our kids ready. So, anyway. And here, verse 8, men that die receive tithes, but he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth, that he liveth. And as I say, so say, Levi also who received tithes, paid tithes to Abraham. And all he's saying to it, like... He came out of Abraham's loins. He is one of the children of Abraham. And if Abraham paid tithes to this guy, Melchizedek, maybe they should think of something else. Maybe there is a a different order. And I want to say that today for you. Most of you I know. I know you guys. I know you're not thinking that there's another order. But what about your friends? What about your Catholic friends? What about your Presbyterian friends that think of Reformed theology and such? You, You need to tell them. 
that there is a new order and there's only one order that we have to be under and it's the order of Melchizedek, which literally is the order of Jesus Christ. He goes on and he says, For he, Levi, was yet in the loins of his father Melchizedek um, when he met him. He was in the loins of Abraham. And so, if therefore, great place, if you're making an outline, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, little side note, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Question mark. And again, go back to Psalms 110 and reread that thing. This is a different order. If, if it was necessary, why the change? Look at verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of, um, of the law. And what he's saying there is without the change in the priesthood, there would be no change in the law. So if there's not another order, what he's saying, if there's not another order different than the order of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood, then we're still under under the law. And if that's the case, you and I aren't going to heaven, to be frank with you. Because we're not doing the Levitical law today. Something had to change. Because, again, the law could not make one perfect. Look what he says in verse 11 again. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood. Can't be. That's the idea there. If it were, then the law wouldn't have changed. Verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out, sprung out of, um, out of Judah. Everyone knew that our Lord Jesus, they did. The Jewish Christians knew that he came from the tribe of Judah. In which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. No priest is coming out of the line of Judah. And is yet far more evident. For that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. It, there's more evidence to show that there's another order. And they, oh my goodness, you know, the Christians in the New Testament church, oh, they boasted themselves. If you were from Judah, well, at least Jesus came from the line of Judah, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but maybe through the genealogies and, and through bloodline, but he's from a different line altogether, Jesus. Notice what he says. Who is made not after of a carnal law, is the idea, carnal commandment, but after the power of endless life. The Levitical wasn't endless. It wasn't eternal. The Melchizedek had no beginning, no end, no mom, no dad. The idea there that he had, you know, Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end. Levi had genes. Levi genes. Well, I'm just, all right. So, I got to practice on this more. For he testifies, and again, quoting Psalms 110 and verse 4. I want you really to go home and read that later. For he testified, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now that would have blown their mind. Because you can't be a king and a priest. You can't mix politics with the priesthood. And by the way, not a bad idea for some politicians. Amen? Leave religion out of the White House. It has no place for it. Because we're not looking to establish a kingdom here on earth. And that, listen, I'm not saying don't vote your, your conscience. I'm not saying that. But these land... These, just a couple years. That, that bothered me when I saw the church going through that. They were acting like they're establishing a kingdom on the earth if they get the right guy in there. Now, I'm happy where our country is. Don't get me wrong. But God knew better. God said, no way. The Levitical law says you're not going to be a king and you're not going to be a priest. You can be a prophet and a, and, and a priest. You can be a king and a prophet. But don't you dare try to be king and priest. It doesn't work. Only under the order of Melchizedek, right. 
For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before the, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. In other words, the law just couldn't do it. Look at verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. Rules and regulations and rituals. Now, I'm not saying there isn't. Oh, how am I going to say this without getting mixing you? I'm not saying that there isn't convictions of the heart. You can't put, I can't put my conviction on Lisa then. I just can't do that. She can't do it to me. Why? Because this kingdom that we're in today is a kingdom that's run by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom they were looking for was run by a Levitical priesthood or a king. But it could never, it could never make us perfect. It was, it was, it's weak, it's unprofitable. There's no profit. There's no profit in trying to keep rules and regulations and traditions of man. And I usually find this to be true. That when I meet an individual and they're so bent on keeping their rules and tradition, it's because they have a lack of knowledge concerning the word. And me, I just let them talk. I don't try to persuade them. I do not get in an argument with them. I'm hoping that God will open a door and maybe they'll say, but what does the Bible say her? Then I can take them to Genesis 14. That all this priest stuff, all this reverend stuff, all this thing when somebody walks in with a collar, you start to act different stuff, is wrong. It is just wrong. Because we're not under that order. And if they were men of God, I, I, I just, I, I, Joe gave me this audio book. Kind of cool, you can drive around this, you know. But it's on the life of Billy Graham. And it's Billy um, starts off talking and then Cliff Barrows takes it off and then reads the rest of the book for him because Billy was really um, uh, struggling. But Billy said that what he was so disappointed with was this, that, that he, the only notoriety that he really received was he was an evangelist who had the audience of kings and the audience of presidents and the audience of that, he goes, if 10% of my time was spent with kings and presidents, that's an exaggeration. Most of my time was spent with just common, ordinary, blue-collar people. He hardly, he says, and I don't want anyone to think of me as someone of an elite status that only reached kings and own, because that is not what Christ come to do. Christ came to, to mingle with those that, if I could say, blue collar, working day to day to just survive. They were, he wouldn't be the one involved with 401 cans and all this other stuff. Yeah, come on. He would have been right down with the common people. And that's what Billy Graham wanted his, the people who um, wanted to know what his life was like. I, that's what he wanted them to know. That he was more concerned about the common, pe common people than the rich and famous. Anyway. That's free. He goes on. And he says you are a. A priest forever, if the law could make you perfect, 19, inasmuch not as with all an oath he was made priest, inasmuch as not with an, an, uh, with an oath he was made a priest. You know, it, not, that's in reference to, look at verse 21, for those priests were made without an oath. Um, he's talking about the Levitical priesthood. If you were in line to be a priest, you never had to be sworn in or never had to make an oath. You know, like our president when he takes the oath of, oath of office. No, if you were born, if you were a Levite and you could prove that, you were automatically in the priesthood. Uh, not everybody would be a high priest. Well, to give you an idea, during the first century temple period, the first temple, there was 18 priests serving, high priests that were serving in the temple area. Second temple, there was 
300 priests serving. And everyone would have to be sworn in, take an oath of office. But Melchizedek and our high priests never had to make an oath. Why? Because there was a promise given and an oath already made by God himself. And no one could swear higher than him. So we didn't need to. We can trust our high priest. He doesn't have to make a promise. And if he breaks his promise, he's impeached. Amen. He says the priest was made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent. Remember Psalms 110, and that's where God takes his oath. After the order of Melchizedek. So by much, much was Jesus made surety of a better testament. The word testament literally means of a better covenant, um, a better promise that there is a guarantee. And so when we look through the history, the Hebrew history, we find out there were many high priests or priests that did falter. And that there they, they was not a guarantee. And it wasn't part of me, and we'll see this in a second, it was a guarantee because they're not going to live forever. And once one died off, another would have to take his place. But our high priest never dies, he's eternal. He goes, they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of of death. They died off. But this man, because he continueth ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. And if you don't believe that, you're not going to believe verse 25. In verse 25, we could just camp out here just a little bit tonight. Oh, my goodness. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God. It's conditional. Come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. As a quote, many, many will give you, you know, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him. And somehow people even make this somewhat legalistic. It is conditional, even reading it in the New Greek. Those that come unto him, he does save to the uttermost. Again, that's why it's conditional. You've got to come or you're not saved. And, but the idea of being saved and linking it to the word of priesthood, this is what it really means. If you can just give me your attention for a second, this is so important. The Greek rendering and the verbiage in there, it means he continues to save. It doesn't mean that he continues to save like he's going to save, you know, Aunt Betty and then he's going to save Aunt Agnes and then he's going to save. Literally means he is on a spot and he is continuing to save because he is our high priest forever and he doesn't change. Now, we know that he sits on the right side of God as that priest. He's making intercession before God for you and I daily. He does that all the time. But the reason we can have such a strong conviction that you're saved, you're always saved, that no man can snatch you from the Father's hand is because He is there and He is constantly keeping you in a safe state. Well, what about a backslider? I don't know anything about backsliding. I've never done it yet. Don't plan on it either. Yeah, I like that. The backslide. You know, Arminianists, you lose your salvation. Calvinists, you can never lose your salvation. Presbyterians, they're off in la-la land somewhere saying you're Israel somehow. Now, you, you know what? There's a difference between adopting a child and birthing a child. And I've done both. Well, I haven't birthed a child, but thank God for that. I saw that, man. That does not look pleasant. I remember looking at Irm saying, you can do it, hon. Shut up! There's a cost. We adopted John. I had to obtain an attorney. I had to, I had, I mean, I love him to death. He is my son as much as the, the other ones. But according to the Bible, the only one that can actually be an heir is someone who is a blood relative. Well, how does that fit us? Well, you are a blood relative through the blood of Christ. 
But there's a big difference. And people who try to get to heaven based on some kind of performance, that's not going to work. Look, he keeps us. No man can snatch you out of my father's hand. I had a guy tell me it was ridiculous. We were not arguing. Great brother. We sat. We laughed about a lot of different differences. We just, we, it was a great time. It really was. Great fellowship. But he said to me, he goes, Harry, you're going to try to tell me you can't jump out of that hand? I said, dude, that hand spanned out the galaxies just by his fingertips. You couldn't jump from one knuckle to the other. That's how sure you are in his hand. Death, height, breath, principalities, power, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Well, I have been separated. Well, not by God. Any of this making sense tonight, gang? And let me ask you a question. Does that not bless your heart that he loves you so much? He's going to mention it a little later that the way that was accomplished, that there was a sacrifice, not behind a curtain, different sacrifice, a hope, a hope. And that hope came from the death of Christ on the cross. He's able to save them to the other most to come unto him by the... Uh, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, our Jesus. You know enough of your Bible to know that it, um, before he was born, he was with God, fully God. He took on human flesh. He feels the infirmity. He knows what it means to be tempted uh, as all men. He knows what it means to have a common cold. He became flesh. The only difference between us and Jesus is the nature. You have a sinful nature. If you don't believe me, look at a two-year-old. Born in sin. Don't touch that. Did you lie? Did you eat that cookie? And it's all up. No, no. Don't even have to teach them to lie. You know. Some people just can't get away with it, though, you know. I had uh, my two boys. I came. I was just telling this story the other night. That's why it's fresh in my mind. I came home one night with Ermin. The cops were going up and down Cohawkinot Road, and they got these lights shining in the field. And I thought, oh, that don't look good, you know. So I got out of my car, went up to the officer. I said, hey, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I got a neighbor who said they heard a, a gunshot. Gunshot? Around here at night? Hope you get him. So I go into the house. My boys are up in their bedroom, and I thought, my, it's awful quiet tonight. So I go in their bedroom, you know, to see if they're all right and say, hey, Tim, everything good? Yeah, Pop, great, man. I go over and I said, John, everything okay? And he goes, yeah. (laughs) And then I smell gunpowder. Here those stinkers had these bottle rockets. (laughs) Neighbors thought they were guns. Anyway, I turned them in. They served three years in prison, so... Look, look what he says about our high priest, though. Our high priest, not a human, is holy. The only way you and I are holy is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all gone. And harmless. Flip side of that, if our high priest is harmless, that tells me that any other priesthood is harmful. And the people who are gravitating and wanting to hold on to some kind of orthodoxy that's only going to harm them. We are free, and we are free indeed to serve him, to love him, to worship him. Undefiled, meaning the human priest can never be undefiled. Separated from sinners, we're going to see that he's got to offer, they have to offer up sin for themselves first. Made higher than the heavens, higher than the heavens. So you go outside, it's a beautiful day. You look, this, this word here literally means that first span of heaven, the clouds, the blue, you know. He's higher than that. Remember, he's our prophet, king, and priest. Who needeth not daily as the high priest to offer up a sacrifice for his, first for his own sin and then for the people. I wonder what that was like for the high priest to go in there and offer up a sacrifice for himself first. And then he'll take care of the people. Boy, that's different, isn't it? Jesus always said, put the other first. 
For this one, or for this he did once when he offered up himself. There was an offering made. Not bulls and goats. Uh-uh. Not, not any bread or, or wave offering or heave offering. And I forget how many. I think there were seven in the book of Leviticus. All these different offerings. Now, there was one offering. You ever just sit back and ponder that? Ever? Alone? Just you and him? I was able to do that today. I haven't been doing it lately, but just had a chance just to be alone with him today. And just took my Bible and just sat there and I would read that verse. And I just said, man, he did that for me. I just, that, that overwhelms me sometimes. It overwhelms me when I have a brother or sister, you know, kind of doing something for us, you know. And it's just something beautiful. And not, that overwhelms me. So when I start to think of the cross, to think all that he that he gone through. You know, I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a smart man. I'm not a foolish man. I know if somebody goes that far, I know the best thing for me is to thank him with all my heart and to never take it for granted. See, that's what happened. It's exactly what happened in the church of Corinth. And Paul said, man, you're taking it in an unworthy manner. You're not discerning the death, the body of Christ. You're not doing it right. And for that cause, many are asleep and some have even died. See, you'll never fall asleep. You'll never die spiritually if you're grateful for that act, the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, man. Fall deeper in love with Him. Fall in love with Him. If you can't honestly say in your heart that I am madly in love with Him, get to a place where you can fall in love with Him. And don't ever, don't forget about anything else. Get in touch with him. Lord, show me what you went through on the cross. What is it like to sweat great drops of blood, sweat, you know? What was it like when you thought everybody was abandoning you? What what was it like when you know people would turn on you and brutally hit you? and, And you did that for me. Because why? Because you were a different order. A high priest would have never done that for his people. Your, your pastor wouldn't do that for you. I'm sorry. I think you, you might think a lot of me. But I don't know if I could die the death of Christ. But he did it for you. No priest, no matter how good and religious he looks, could ever do that for you. You see, our Lord went behind the veil to the Holy of Holies without a rope attached to him. Our Lord rent the veil from the top to the bottom to let us go in into the presence of God. No priest could do that. No minister can do that. Only Jesus. A little bit more in love with him tonight. That's all I ask. Because when the church is being persecuted, when these doors are locked, I'll know in my heart you're home loving Jesus. And that's what matters to me. And we all meet at Rich's house secretly. For the law maketh men high priests. That's what the law does. Which has infirmity. But the word of the oath, God's word, which was since the law maketh the son who was... Consecrated. That word also can be translated who is perfect forevermore. Ah, you don't need any more than that. Amen, guys? Let's stop there. And, um, Josh, if you'll make your way out. You know, it's chapters like this. It's why it's so important that you just slow down a little bit and you just look at things carefully. You don't want to be the kind of Christian that's dull of hearing. You know, you want you want as a believer to be a Berean. The Bereans were considered people of a noble character. Paul said that. Uh, And the reason why they were of noble character is because they rightly divided the word of truth. Oh, there is no song. I'm sorry. Josh is with the uh, junior high. 
and um, be ready in season and out. That's what I always say. It's my bud. And um, that's why we're so careful to try to keep the word. Now, there are times where we stop and we'll look at a subject and make it somewhat topical when I feel like it's important. But for most part, I want you to be little theologians running around here, knowing the word of God. You know, I always think of what, uh, and it might be silly, but when um, Jesus said to the crowd, he had a large gathering, a large crowd. It wasn't just the twelve. And he said this, he said, unless the Father draws you, you in no wise will come to me. And I don't know why. To me, I wouldn't have taken offense, I don't think. But it says that people took offense at that, and they all started to leave. Jesus looks at the twelve that are standing with him. He says, are you going to leave me too? Now, if you remember, this was Peter's words. Where can we go? You're the only one that has words to eternal life. Where else can we go? This is words to eternal life. Amen, guys? So please, continue to be Bereans. Read it at home. Study it. Verse by verse. Chapter on chapter. You know, don't, don't, don't go off with some of these things where you're going to come up with a... Remember all those purpose-driven books? You know why I never read any of those, by the way? And they're probably great books. A guy, the author is probably a fine guy. I don't know him. Never met him. But the title bugged me. Because when I hear driven, I think of a cowboy. When I hear led, I think of Jesus as a shepherd. Just the title turned me off. Be careful with the books. You don't need to be driven. You need to be led. Amen? Okay. Let's stand.